that some therapists find it hard enough with one person in the room when you've got two people in the room it's it's important to stick to the plan you know to make sure rapport is being built to make sure you've got all the information from both sides that we set a goal and it might not be one goal it might be two there might or it might be three there might be a goal for one person the other and for the relationship Hello and welcome to another Human Givens podcast. I'm Jay Baker and I'm part of the Human Givens team and today I'm going to be talking to Jennifer Broadley about her work with couples. Healthy couple and family relationships are vital for adults and children's health and well-being and all relationships can hit hard times at some stage and research shows that it's not actually the appearance of conflict but rather how it's managed that predicts the success or failure of a relationship and that support can really make the world of difference. Jennifer's a human-given psychotherapist with a thriving online practice, and she's also a trained executive and corporate coach with an independent coaching practice that she's operated successfully since 2003. And Jennifer's a tutor here at the Human Givens College, where she delivers a hugely successful couples therapy workshop, where she helps people to navigate the journey and addressing natural tensions and finding ways to mature and develop relationships over time. So we're really delighted that Jennifer's joining us today to share her insight about her work with couples and relationships. So hi, Jennifer, how are you? I'm good, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. And I'm excited to talk about things to do with couples. It's just such a wide, deep, high subject. I'm excited for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, there's just so much that we could cover today, but I wonder if a good place to start is maybe by normalising that making a relationship work isn't always easy. Uh, do you know what? I don't even think that it's always easy. I just think that every relationship is going to have a bump somewhere along the line. Um, yeah. But also keeping in context that we get together for a reason, don't we? And sometimes you know, those reasons are hugely variable, but there's always a reason. However, because we're all individuals, there's always little glitches when we change or the thing that's brought us together in the first place adjusts or changes like we're all adjusting and changing. It's sometimes a bit challenging for the, uh, the partner's expectations, you know. So I guess it's about navigating the changes, you know, life's twists and turns. And so what are the common reasons that couples need counselling? I think it's I think it's, it's everything. It's do they communicate well? It's do their common interests change? It's do they, you know, do their finances change? Do they, do they become parents? You know, does something get triggered that you hadn't expected in the first six months or the first year and then all of a sudden you've partnered together you've bought a house together you've got children something gets triggered and you think wow I've never seen that side of that person before so it could just be a myriad of things. Mm. So talk me through some of the things that you you know you might see when you're working with with two people because you know for for a lot of people when they qualify as a therapist the thought of just working with one person is quite overwhelming but working with two so what kinds of things do people come to you with? I think generally people come to therapy a little bit a little bit later than they possibly should. Right. Um, so I think it's always a good idea to ask someone for a little bit of help if that's what you need. You know, if you if you have a car that sounds you hear a bit of a clunky sound, you wouldn't want to drive that car for six months and then take it to the to the garage and say what's going on. Because the possibilities are that that clunky sound has gotten bigger or it's had a knock-on effect to a bunch of other things. And so I think most people come to see or to seek help from a couples counsellor because they are, they're they're changing. 
you know, people are, people think that we're going to be the same in our 20s, in our 40s as we were in our 20s or our 30s. And actually, we're just evolving. Individuals are evolving constantly. And I think if we see the two people that come into our room, the couple that comes into our room as individuals, and then see the relationship as a separate thing, it's always going to come down to the same thing, isn't it? It's always how well are, are those individuals' needs being met? How, yeah. are they, how effectively are they, do they feel secure? Do they feel like they're in control? Do they feel like they've got status? Going through all of those emotional needs and understanding what's changed from when they first got together and, just, and how is that affecting the individual, which in, in turn has a knock-on effect to the, to the relationship itself. Mm. Mm. So I guess, you know, when you, you've got those early days, which can go on for quite quite a while for, for some yeah. people, and you've got those, you know, lots of, you know, happy hormones yeah. flooding through your body. And, you know, as then it starts to become more normal and you've still got two people who care very deeply about each other and have got that some level of, of bond, but then they think, oh, well, maybe we need to move in together or then we need to buy a house. And then it yeah. feels like we need to do something. And then over time, you know, as you know, we navigate weaving our lives together, it becomes more and more complex, doesn't it? And I guess, you know, I think one of the things that I've seen is and, and been really highlighted, actually, over two of the, the large events over the last few years is differences of opinion. Mm -hmm. on, you know, I know people who've split up over Brexit. You know, I know yeah, yeah. who've had strongly opposing views about COVID. And that's caused really, really difficult dynamics within those relationships. And you'd never expect those subjects to come up, would you? So you'd no. never think like 10 years ago, we're going to have to be talking about the political, you know, a country's independence or not. You think that's and also sometimes you don't even know what you think about those subjects until they come up. And then if those views are opposing, I guess they can when they're so highlighted in the media or they're so highlighted in the conversation socially that we're all having, I think there's the danger that those topics overshadow the excellent things that got us together with a partner in the first place. So going back to the basics, what attracted you to that person in the first place? And are those things still there? So are they still kind? Are they still thoughtful and funny and spontaneous and generous? Are those things still present? And it's really good to remind ourselves regularly, why did I choose to partner with this person in the first place mm, mm, mm. and so coming back to that communication really as well because I guess when when we're emotionally aroused we we don't communicate as well with each other yeah. and it's the you know it, it's the emotion that is is displayed in the the behavior and you know as we know all behavior is an attempt to get needs met so what's going on behind that that behavior and I think that is the number one challenge for most couples and why, how damage is created, actually. It's that couples continue to communicate when they're highly aroused. Yeah. You know, so when they're angry or frustrated or confused and they continue to talk, which means you've got, you know, two amygdalas talking to each other instead of two neocortexes. And that's just... Yeah. Well, even if one's speaking, one amygdala is speaking to a neocortex, that's messy, but two is very messy. And actually damage can be done. Words are things, thoughts are things. So when we speak those out loud and they're, they're really, really hard to undo. And actually, I think for a lot of couples, when I see them, they are, you know, they come 
to have a conversation that's mediated more than anything because they want to have a safe conversation because they've never managed to get to the to the end of a certain topic that is important to one other or both but when they approach the topic it's triggering for one other or both and so sometimes the role of us as therapists is to mediate that conversation and make sure that we allow space for a person to fully get to the end of what they think and feel so that the other person can appreciate it and that we create something in our rooms or online if we're we're working with them on Zoom that we create a space where it's safe and it's calm because then you've got the smart part of each person's brain beginning to understand what the other person thinks and feels and wants Mm -hmm. and also the smart part of their brain figuring out can I can I take on board that change like what would that change mean and, mm. and I think that sometimes that's all. I mean, sometimes the mediation, the mediating the conversation part is all that's needed. Yeah. Um, but I think for that to be the case, we as therapists have to make sure that we can stay calm when it might be getting, you know, there's the possibility or the sense that the room is getting a little bit heated. And I think when you said earlier that... <laughs> that some therapists find it hard enough with one person in the room, when you've got two people in the room, it's, it's important to stick to the plan, you know, to make sure rapport is being built, to make sure you've got all the information from both sides that we set a goal. And it might not be one goal, it might be two, it might, or it might be three. There might be a goal for one person, the other, and for the relationship. Relationship, yeah. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, it's a, it's a privileged, privileged place to be. But I think we're always remembering that we're coming back to basics. We are working with regard to get a person's emotional needs met well. That's basically what we're doing all the time. <laughs> and, and sometimes, I mean, which is why couples often end up coming to counselling, is that those, the, you know, the, the ability to meet those needs are in conflict with one another. Yeah. 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 But, but I, I've always found that a really interesting thing, actually, because this thing about so I met this, I was recently on holiday, on a sport holiday in um, a place called Club La Santa in Lanzarote. So I went there for a squash camp and then I stayed on for six extra days. But everyone that's there is like super, super sporty. And this, there was this one lady that I met who was absolutely delightful, her and her husband. They had two grown up children there as well. But she said to me, they were really passionate cyclists. So they cycled a lot together and they were doing a lot of cycling while they were there. And um, in a conversation one day, she said to me, I told her that my my partner was a triathlete, a keen triathlete. And and she said to me, you know, you should you should get an electric bike and you should cycle with him sometimes. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I could do that, except I don't like cycling. And she said, yeah, but it's really important that you spend at least two hours a day spending time with your partner doing something that you love. And I went, yeah, I agree, except that I don't like cycling. And so she, we kind of finished the conversation there. But then the next day, she and her husband had obviously had a conversation about it. And they came back and she said, so, so we've had a conversation, Jennifer, and there's two types of electric bike that you can buy. One's a 25 and one's a 40. And I went, well, I don't even know what you just said. She said, well, a 25 means it's a maximum speed of 25 miles an hour. And the other one means that it's a maximum speed of 40 miles an hour. And so you could test drive either of those. And then you could go cycling with your partner. And I went, well, yeah, I could do that, except... I don't like cycling (laughs) and and so she 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 said but it's really important that you do things together and so I I I thought I was just about to engage in telling her I don't like it don't like it again and then I stepped back and I thought what is actually going on here and I said to her 
do you love cycling with your husband? And she said, yeah, I do. It's one of the highlights of, you know, of our, of our day. And we do it almost every day. And I was like, great. So, and she said, and also I'm really passionate about cycling. And I said, that's great. But you know, everyone here by definition, because we're at a sports camp, is passionate about whatever their sport is. Now I'm passionate about squash. That's why I'm here. I've played five days of that. But you're passionate about cycling, but each of us have to remember what we're passionate about and do our thing and make sure that we continue to do our thing when we partner up with someone else. Now, if my thing is this sport and my partner's thing is this sport, we're not going to partner over those things, but we will find something else in common, which we have, which is, you know, why we relate well together, <laughs> which we hadn't had a conversation about yet. And so it really made me think that sometimes we... I think there is a huge assumption that if we partner up with someone, it's our similarities that connect us. And I just don't think that that's always true. I think, I think the character of someone who really loves something or is passionate about art or passionate about mountain climbing or about choir, and this other person who is passionate about, I don't know, architecture and, some, and something else, those people can join together because they can see that they're passionate about something. They will find a thing in common, one or two or several things, but it's also really important that each person allows or supports the other person in continuing to be passionate mm. about what drew them together in the first place. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, you know, that having that respect for each other's passions, but also that respect for the relationship as well. And I guess where, where I was coming from with that is what I've seen yeah. is when somebody's passion kind of leaks out everywhere and you know smothers other aspects of the relationship yeah. that doesn't allow time for that that coming yeah. together yeah 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 when I was working in a particular university I was doing some work with a, a master's in creative writing yeah. and I think I may have told you this before Jennifer but there was a, a retired couple on the masters who decided that they were going to come and do this masters in creative writing together and I just thought it what a wonderful thing to do together mm. um and you know I went away and reflected on it and I, I, I spoke to Gareth about it we both agreed that actually we couldn't think of anything worse than doing a masters with our partner but it was a really <laughs> lovely thing <laughs> for, for, for this particular couple to do and I think it's about what you know finding what works for you isn't it and and have that healthy balance Another thing that I noticed over lockdown, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of people did, was suddenly everybody was thrown together, you yeah. know, and we were suddenly spending a lot more time with each other than we, we had been before. And it really made me think about retirement as well. You know, when couples retire yeah. and they're suddenly, you know, they've, they've, they've lived really, really happily together up until the point of retirement. And they're suddenly, you know, in this really intense environment together mm. and I think we can see problems you know arising then from that conflict of need yeah and, and there's this there's this expectation isn't there that if I really love someone then it's really important that I spend more time with them <laughs> which, is, which is kind of crazy sometimes that works and sometimes that really doesn't work yeah. it doesn't work and so and so this expectation especially the retirement expectation where and I've seen this happen a lot with couples who or individuals who have come for couples counseling. So couples counseling for one going, my relationship's just, you know, gone south since I've retired. I don't know what's going on. And there is this expectation that if I'm going to have a lot more time to myself, the one thing that I'm really looking forward to is spending more time, more of that time with my partner. And the mm. partner's sitting there going, nothing's changed for me. 
yeah. I'm still working nine to five every day. Oh, and yeah. I'm going to do that for 10 more years. So your expectations of retirement have got to be built on that reality that I'm still going to be working for 10 more years. And yes, there can be small adjustments, but I think this reliance on your partner to fulfill some of the needs that perhaps you haven't thought through clearly enough and got in well enough met yet, that can be a bit of a challenge at retirement. Mm. Do you know, it's, it's quite a simple conversation to have, though, when you point that out. I spoke to a, a man exactly on that topic recently, and he asked me point blank, do you think, so he explained what was going on, explained that his partner wasn't available to spend as much time as he would like to spend with her. And he said, but do you think, do you think that's an unreasonable, do you think that's an unreasonable thing for me to, ex- for, to expect that, you know, that she would actually want to spend more time with me? And I went, yeah, I do. I think your expectations are unreasonable. However, I think they're normal. They just perhaps need a little bit more thinking through. Mm. And we went, we talked about the emotional needs. He kind of got those in context really quickly. And his homework was to go away and have a look at how each of those needs were met well at the moment and how they could be better met. And even just to think how had they been previously met when he was working full time? So that actually that didn't, his expectations didn't throw the responsibility of him feeling great about his life too weightily onto his partner. Mm. Mm. And genuinely, second second session, completely different person. And he was just like, "Oh my my goodness!" I've and I've and I've thought about these clubs, and I'm going to do these things, and I'm going to volunteer, and I've got these courses, and I've I've organised to you know to have a week away golfing with these guys. And actually, I think he. Yeah, he was just a completely different person. But yeah, I think these life changes, these big life changes like moving in together, having children, having more children, retirement, menopause. So, you know, menopause is just so misunderstood, more and more being talked about it now, fortunately. Um, But as we know, it's still an optional module for GPs. So Mm. even the medical profession don't have a huge awareness about it. So how on earth are, you know, non-medical people meant to navigate that, you know, both for us personally, for for anybody who is, is going to go through the menopause themselves, or for anybody who lives with or knows or, or cares about somebody who's going to go through the menopause, because it's such a, an unknown area, really, in, in terms of understanding. And I've read a really interesting article yesterday, actually, by a gentleman who said that he was really embarrassed that he didn't know anything about the menopause. And he is supporting his wife through the menopause now. However, he'd been in a relationship previously where his wife had gone through the menopause and he didn't know anything. And he just said, you know, I was useless. I wasn't any help whatsoever. But having gone through that and that relationship ended, I'm now in another marriage and very, very happy with my wife. And she's going through the menopause because I read up about it. And because I really learned about it, I feel so much better equipped to be able to support her. Mm. And then the, in the article, the wife was saying, you know, how jealous actually some of her friends are (laughs) because of how supportive her husband is because he really thinks about it. He really thinks, you know, what does she need right now? And they talk about it. And he's really encouraged the communication from his wife to say, you know, just tell me where you're at because I don't know unless Mm -hmm. you tell me. And so again, it comes down to that communication and that understanding, but also that individual who really wanted to know and understand and to support his wife. Yeah. 
Do you yeah. know what else as well, though? Do you know what else is included in that is that there's that education piece is absolutely key, isn't it? Because yeah. because it's been a subject that only women talk about or even if even if women are equipped or not equipped to talk about, we've kind of kept it to ourselves. And yeah. that's unfair. That's like saying there's this thing that guys go through guaranteed they're going to go through it guaranteed and then keep it to themselves. And, and women are not allowed to have the conversation. We just have to deal with the fallout of it. That's yeah. not fair. No, it's and not it's, fair. And so I think, yeah, I think the point that you're making there is education is a key piece as well as, yeah, as and helping both male and female, both husband and wife or partner, both partner through that menopause period, because it can be, you know, one year or one decade or more. It's, it's a long old yeah. difference and it can be really ineffectual for some women and then really corkingly difficult for other women. I know when we, we there is a podcast with um, Kim Thomas that we recorded previously on, on the menopause. She does an awful lot of work with women going through the menopause. And she said, actually, menopause is one day, but it's everything else around. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Big yeah. things that are big things that are going to happen. And also when children leave home as well. I've yes. seen it from, you know, when when people's children go to university and suddenly, you know, the, the nest is is empty and then mm. there's the reality of, OK, where are we now? You know, sometimes people finding it difficult to, to connect to where they once were. Yeah. And, and you know what? None of us are going to avoid the things that naturally unfold as we move through the decades. So mm. we don't get to skip things like unless we don't have children, but we generally don't skip things like parenting or moving in together or any of those things. And so what we first got together for like when when a couple first get together it's quite simple isn't it it's like I really like you I really like spending time with you and you get to choose every day because you live separately how much time you spend with that person and you get to choose the parts of them that you see so you can bring your best self for the four hours that you spend together that day and then you go back to your own house and you and you and you do your own stuff and the other person will do their own stuff and then you get together for the four hours the next day or whatever you do and that can happen for months and years before people decide that they're going to move in together. So actually the moving in together piece is you, you can no longer mask the parts of yourself that you don't want the other person to see or that you think would be unhelpful for the other person to see. <laughs> and that's, I think, when the reality really hits. It's, it's this developing this friendship with each other that is fully accepting of who the other person is um, so I guess it's that emotional connection, isn't it? It's that it's the fully accepting of the other person, flaws and all. Mm, mm, yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, it comes down to, you know, a lot of it down to communication as well. And people not necessarily anticipating some of the things that would have been good to have a conversation about mm. or have a shared understanding about before they actually get there you know mm. um, and I can certainly relate to this with when I had my first child it was just lovely I was going to have a baby um, and why wouldn't anybody be really happy about that and my, my husband was was very happy about that but actually the reality was we had quite different ideas of how it was going to be mm. but neither of us had ever communicated that and I think a lot of assumptions were made and so I mean things like that must happen all the time and also expectations around are we even going to have children, you know, or how many children are we going to have? And actually, maybe we said that we were going to have two, but then one person thinks, actually, maybe I'd like a third. And but all of these little darts over time yeah. just can build up, can't they? And, and I guess that's what you were saying about sometimes people come a little bit later 
than would have been helpful. Yeah, and also because I think that if we're using our parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles as models, I think it can be assumed that, well, they figured it out, how hard can it be? You know, yeah. and actually, I, I don't think we, I don't think, I don't think the world was ever super simple, but I think it's definitely less simple now than it's ever been. I think there are, you know, there are definitely benefits of the world feeling like it's a smaller place because we can speak with people in, you know, Japan or China or South Africa or the US in a, in a moment if we need to. The world seems like a smaller place, but actually the choices that that give all of us about where we live, you know, who we're in relationship with, how we work, those things were not choices for the previous generations. No. And so the, and, and the, the speed of news, that, that news travels, how news is interpreted, where we get our information from, all of these things are different and unique for every single person. But there's a vast amount of information out there. And so what used to perhaps be simple, simpler for the previous generations is, has the potential to be a lot more complex now. Mm. Mm. And I think there are so many distractions that can distract us away from the real basics of just getting our needs met healthily. And how do I do that as an individual? And how do I empower my partner to do it as an individual? And how do we continue to support and respect each other as we both do that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it all, sorry, Jen, it almost sounds as if it, you know, it's quite a healthy thing maybe to just come and have an MOT. Totally. Um, totally. And rather than seeing it as, you know, the last, you know, the last thing to, to come to, well, you know, it, it must be bad if we've got to go to couples counselling. Actually yeah. seeing it as a really positive, yeah. you know, f facilitation really of a mediated conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And almost always that is what we're, certainly what I'm aiming for when, when someone comes in is to really create a space where both people feel heard. Mm. and that's often it's just based around the things that we would do in an individual session so modeling reflective listening and and teaching that maybe as a skill if that's what's needed and and I think even just that that one thing can just change everything yeah and then there's another thing there's another thing that changes things a lot I think as well I call it a working conversation and mm -hmm. so um but I I encourage a couple to write rename it if that sounds too like technical so in a working conversation is have you have you ever experienced when one couple is maybe at home doing something doing the homemaking part of it and then someone else has come in from work and they say oh this amazing thing happened today let me tell you what happened and then the person's in the house goes okay yeah hang on a sec but did you call the plumber and and then and then the other person's going yeah but well hang on a sec I'm going to I just want to tell you about this cool thing that happened today and the other person said yeah 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 but when you went out this morning you said you were going to call the plumber so did you do it and then there's all of a sudden this is massive clash of I want to tell you this fun thing, but here's a here's a job that you were supposed to do this morning. <laughs> and I need to know if you've done it because I've been anxious about it all day. So this like all of a sudden fun conversation not happening, argument about to start. And and so one of the things that we that we that I talk about sometimes is is setting up this working conversation. So it's a place every week, no more than 20 minutes conversation where where you can have these working conversations where they have a place to happen. So who's gonna pay for the car insurance? Is the next holiday booked? 
are we going to think about taking that job in that different country or that different city? And I think it's a good idea too to have a little book that sits in a kitchen drawer somewhere, a book and a pen, so that when you think, oh, there's a thing I'd like to talk about, it is the plumber or it is the electrician or it is, are we going to build that extension? These are working conversations that are a natural part of most people's relationship, but mm. they're a bit chory to have to do. Do you know what I mean? And so you kind of have to be in the right mindset, equal mindset to have them to do them well. So if you, if you write in a book, the things that you might like to have a conversation about, and then you know that every Thursday after the kids are in bed from 7.30 till 10 to 8, no more than 20 minutes, we're going to get the book out. And there's no surprises here because you can't talk about something that's not in the book. So if in preparation for the meeting, you look at the book and you say, oh, I can see what he would like to talk about. And he can look at the book and go, oh, I can see the subjects that she'd like to talk about. Fine, I've got my head around that. So nobody's going to get a fright when you sit down and have the conversation. And then because you top and tail the conversation with no more than 20 minutes, if you let that conversation go on for half an hour, an hour, it gets, it gets too intense. And so mm -hmm. one or other person is going to check out a bit and say, I'm not going to sit down because she doesn't respect the 20 minute rule. Yeah. So we've got to put a timer on, alarm goes off at 20 minutes. And as much as you've, as you've covered, that's it. As long as you've got at least one action or one action each, that's plenty. And then every other conversation in the week is a fun conversation or a joyful conversation. So the technical part gets kind of boxed up and put away somewhere. Yeah. And I think that makes a huge difference too. So the reflective listening and the working conversations are pretty much something I would almost yeah. always talk about in the first couple of sessions. <laughs> I love that. You know, um, yeah. we always say that, you know, human given therapists are magpies. You know, we, we take nice shiny things and steal them. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to steal that one, Jennifer. That's absolutely fantastic. I really do. Yeah. Um, so, but what about if... A relationship has broken down to the point where perhaps there's been infidelity and there's a lack of trust. Is there, how do you work a way forward with that? Yeah. So the infidelity thing, the affair thing is there's no right or wrong answer to that. Mm. So if a couple have come to have a conversation about it, it's important that as therapists, we don't judge it and that we have enough confidence or patience or calmness to see our way through that mm -hmm. to help that couple see their way through it now in most cases affairs and infidelities don't happen because because someone wants to be out of the relationship they happen because needs have not been met for a short or, or an extended amount of time so if you ask a couple what do you want from here it might be that they each say, well, actually, I want to stay in this, but we just don't know how. But it might also be that one person says, I want to stay in it. And one person says, I don't, mm. I don't want to do it anymore. Mm. And the thing is, a relationship will only work if both people are committed to, to being in it. So if, if one person wants out, then the conversation can shift to how do we do that well and respectfully. It's a, it's a huge mistake to think that people that come to couples therapy success equals them staying together yeah um actually sometimes success equals calling that relationship a day for the time being because actually if we do that really well it's amazing the number of people that when they do that kindly mm. um they see a different part of each other and are reminded why they got together with that person in the first place but it's really important to make it safe to step out of the relationship or to end the relationship well, if that's what one or other or both want, want to do. Because I think that 
if you can make staying in the relationship a really attractive and safe option and not staying in the relationship a really attractive and safe option, then the couple can decide genuinely what they really want. But yeah. if you say, well, if, you're, if, you, if you as a therapist have some sort of bias towards, well, this is what success looks like, staying together, and you start to push a person that way, actually, you may find that one of the couple is just like, oh my gosh, I, I've been waiting to find a therapist who says it's okay to design this. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've literally had, you know, couples where one or other is literally saying, I absolutely don't want to be in this. And the mm. other person is saying, well, well, I do. Well, it's not going to work if only one of you do. So we have to give permission to explore the, well, okay, what does healthy separation look like? Yeah. And, and I think that's so important because it is possible to separate in a very grown up and healthy way. And it doesn't yeah. have to be like a scene from, you know, a, a soap opera. No. Um, and, and I think sometimes, you know, we're bombarded with the media and, you know, with TV and, and things like that. And, and we have this view of how we think separating couples are. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't need to, to be like that at all. And, you know, uh, people joke, my mum my and dad uh, are still married, but they've been separated for well over 20 years. But they're great friends. You know, they, it, it, they've, they've had their challenges, but they, you know, they've maintained a really good friendship and a, a deep level of trust in each other, probably better yeah. than they were together, to be honest. So yeah. they're a really good example of, being healthily separated and yeah and and I I feel quite lucky that I've had that example really which was in stark contrast to so many other things that were were going on around me when I was growing up yeah yeah and that's just it's just so super healthy isn't it and then and then looking at what you learned from that and what you're now bringing into your life and modeling to your children as well because that was first modeled to you that actually you don't have to live in the same house or live as a partnership in order to healthily raise your children yeah and actually to be able to see that these two people are are living a a better healthier happier life Mm -hmm. apart Mm -hmm. and and that's okay Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah Yeah, not just okay it's actually super healthy yeah and and when when that's a conversation that we can have I think there's a you often see just a couple go oh thank goodness we're allowed to talk about this we're allowed Mm -hmm. to talk about what does splitting our finances up look like? How do we do that? What are the stages to do that? How, you know, how do we figure out the assets that we've got and the pensions that we've got and, and make this thing fair? Also then how do we co-parent our children across two separate houses if that's how you want to design it? But this thing about designing it is it's open to whatever's gonna suit you. Mm. And so you can co-parent your children from the same house and not be together you can co-parent your children from separate houses from separate countries from separate towns the whole thing is a possibility and this I think is why if we don't talk about this healthily like their choices we are in dangerous territory of suggesting that a successful relationship just looks like this it looks like a nuclear family yeah and actually it's so few well, less and less families over 20 or 30 year span are that shape anymore. Mm-hmm. And nor are people aspiring to it. So you're getting less and less people now. And I think this is because we're in a next generation of children who have come from families where parents didn't necessarily stay together. And so now we've got children who are aware that that's a possibility, who have grown up and having their own children. And 
they don't aspire to be married and do this lifelong thing mm. like they never did aspire to that they're saying well we'll do we know how to do the next five years or the next 10 years but if you ask them are you thinking about forever very few of them have the ability to to, to say that or to or to think that you say that for now it's working or for now we just need a few little tweaks and this is gonna mm. this is going to adjust but unfortunately you know a, a lot of relationships don't end end well and you know they can end in a in a, a big acrimonious mess. And I guess, you know, sometimes there's, you know, the, there's so much history, so much complexity um, involved in them that the, the two parties don't sit, seem to be able to come together in that space. And I, something I hear time and time again is, oh, you know, they're just a narcissist. Well, actually, you know, <laughs> a narcissist is an abstraction, you know, it's a buzzword that's so overused and, and it's understandable, but actually I think there's less than 1% of the population actually truly is a narcissist so it's very very rare but narcissistic behavior is just on the spectrum of human behavior and if our needs are not being met then we can exhibit some of these traits can't we so it's no wonder when relationships break down Mm -hmm. people perceive their partner or ex-partner as as a narcissist because you know they're looking after their own needs at the um, you know to the exclusion of the other person's needs. Yeah, and I think when that word is used, what you're actually noticing is that you have a person who is fearful of change, fearful that they're going to lose control, and so are trying really hard to keep things in control to the best of their ability. So they'll decide you know they'll t- they'll overly control money or they're overly control a schedule or they're overly control what their partner's doing and and i think educating in a in a situation if you get someone who's i mean it'd be rare to get someone who was genuinely clinically a narcissist in your but if they were Jennifer, then the relationship wouldn't be working anyway it wouldn't work anyway would it by the very definition of a you know a diagnosis of, of narcissism it's never gonna yeah, work well yeah I, I think that's true I also think that sometimes it can be a little bit more complicated than that so if you if there is a you know a diagnosed narcissist in a relationship which it's just rare because you know that person is rarely going to go for a diagnosis unless they've been part of a sure. some sort of clinical trial but if if you find yourself in a relationship with someone who has a significant number of those traits and you already have one two three children it's not a simple thing to say, well, our recommendation is that this person is never going to change. So we think you should distance yourself from that person. I think that sometimes the subtleties of how we help one other or both of those people is tricky. I think mm-hmm. in that particular case, it's tricky. It's quite interesting in the, in the couples course that there's a, a number of topics that when we get onto them, there's lots and lots of like different questions coming up and and narcissistic personality is one of them because the language is used so much more frequently now absolutely yeah we get and we get people you know there are huge websites dedicated to get yourself out of a narcissistic relationship and they're often fueled with with massive amounts of blame Mm. where i think if we could step away from the blame and educate about what that brain design is And then secondly, apply compassion to it. Firstly, self-compassion. What do I need to do to make sure that my needs are better met so that I am in my best frame of mind to know how to navigate this for myself and for my children going forward, if you have children. But secondly, also to recognize that someone with narcissistic personality didn't choose to be that way. Do you know what I mean? They, 
have got their needs they have needs in the same way that any other person has needs but how they get them met is unique to them directly related to their brain design which either came from nature but may well have come from partly from nurture as well sure yeah um, but again it's a down to you know the, the behavior is an attempt to get needs met so whether they've got a diagnosis yes. or not which is, is merely a label isn't it you know yeah if they're exhibiting those kinds of behaviors then you know there's there's a need not being met somewhere this is uh, true this is true and it's also it's also similar with yeah i mean there are there are life chapters but there are also brain design things like uh, you know the the neurodivergent brain designs and, and how that can show up in relationships as well but that's a whole other topic it's that it's that understanding you know and you know educating ourselves about our, our partners you know because at the end yeah. of the day we're just on a human spectrum aren't we yeah yeah and you know what i think too i think that there is this assumption that if i i'm going to leave this substandard relationship to go and find a better standard of relationship and I just wonder if it all comes down to, in the end, personal development, like mm. personal awareness and personal development, because I'm sure there are relationships that with the wisdom that we've accrued when we get to our 40s and 50s, had we had that in our 20s, we probably could have done some of the relationships that we experienced in our 20s, but we weren't skilled enough yet. Yeah. And so as we go through and realize, oh, when I get my needs met healthily, actually, I'm not that triggered by that personality or that character or the, I'm not that triggered by that mm. um but had it when my 20s when I was would I have been triggered by it absolutely would I have ranted and raved about it oh yeah probably yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. so I think that the people that are coming into our practices you know the the psychoeducation piece about having your emotional needs met well and your physical needs met well what does that look like what does that mean can you track what's already being met well and can you track where there might be gaps? Or teaching about brain design, teaching about pattern matching. It all sounds, you know, we understand the language, but gradually session by session, I think little pieces of that information can reframe how a couple see themselves within the relationship that they're in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think, you know, as you get older, you, you know, you, can feel more secure in in yourself can't you you know as you were saying yeah. could have navigated those relationships in our 20s you know better when we were in our 40s um I saw a really um funny little sketch the other day and it was a, a woman sitting on a table leaning over talking to a man and the man was saying have you seen it the man no. was saying um you're just too much and she just says we'll go and find a relationship that's less <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I, I thought, oh, that, you know, that that made me laugh. And yeah. absolutely um, knowing, you know, knowing what we need ourselves as well, I think, because sometimes we don't take the time to reflect on on our own needs and really to understand them. And so if we don't understand our own needs, we can't really work that dynamic in with yeah. our partner's needs. Yeah. Um, so, so understanding and, and doing reflective work individually as well as couple work I think is really important you know yeah. or, or maybe working as an individual in that couple counseling um is, is yeah it. and so sometimes and so sometimes I I do this I call a diamond pattern so I do that so I see a couple together for the first session and sometimes I'll see them together for the next session the next session sometimes that's just the pattern but sometimes if I think there's there is 
would be a benefit in having separate conversations. We do the first session together, separate conversations, one each, come back together in a week's time or a couple of weeks time and do another one together, separate yeah. conversations. We do yeah. that diamond pattern until uh -huh. we get where we need to be. Because I think there are some things, and this is maybe different in human givens than it is in some other therapies. And I know this from running the course, I quite often have people go, you can't have separate sessions if you've got, you know, you're contracting with these people. So you've got to talk about contracting and stuff. In human givers, we can do this diamond pattern if we want to, and if we think it's helpful. And the benefits of that are, there are some things that you don't want to voice or can't voice fully in front of your partner, and um, that you want to figure out, but figuring it out alongside your partner is not wise and not healthy in every instance. Mm. And so individual conversations as part of couples therapy can work well. Yeah. Can really work well. Uh -huh. Yeah. And, and also these, these conversations that we're having, when I mentioned before that in that couples therapy full day masterclass, there's like almost six conversations that normally come up. Okay. Um, and I've, I was having a conversation with HD themselves and talking about how can I redesign this day to make sure that I cover these six topics. But, and actually the conversation came out that actually there's too much. There's mm. too much, like the day itself, the couples therapy day is a full day. Mm. And these actually six conversations need to be had in two separate ways. So we've, we've designed this, these two separate days to cover the first three topics, which are LGBTQ plus relationships. So what is different or is, what are the differences if there are differences and what are the similarities? So we cover that in this first half day and then we're covering neurodiversity and we're covering narcissistic personality. So that's gonna be one half day. And then the other half day, we're gonna cover three just life-changing um, topics which are parenting like how does that you know one two three five children how does going through the process of that change a relationship and what do we need to be aware of so parenting menopause how does that impact a relationship and retirement so mm -hmm. actually the couple of things that we've talked about already so those two half days are being designed because so many of those questions for people who wanted to for therapists who wanted to introduce couples therapy into their practice were coming up above and beyond the I was going to say the simple version of heterosexual long-term relationships but actually actually that day itself covers so much so much stuff actually is relevant to both of those days as well and um, to, to all of those categories as well we just need to be clear how we help our couples whatever design of relationship they're in and whatever life stage they're in as well mm, yeah yeah, oh, yeah yeah absolutely yeah. So what can couples be doing themselves you know to help their relationship thrive yeah apart from your 20 minute you know working conversation which I think <laughs> is wonderful so I think there's a number of things like I always think we can educate and that people can have uh, couples can have fun with learning some new things I think reflective listening is key working conversations is key I think the five to one rule is key you know speaking out five times as many positive uplifting kind buildy uppy things as anything that's feedback or judgy but I think that applies to every relationship not just your you know partnership relationship but it applies to your children it applies to your work colleagues mm. you need to be speaking out five times as many positive things because when we do that you know if we get lazy we do that so it's negative yeah. negative negative and occasionally we throw in a so the yeah. five to one I think that's generally a good principle and and I think I think coming back to these needs and taking personal responsibility Mm. and recognizing what is impacting my security 
what is impacting my sense of control? What is impacting my sense of competence and achievement? And if we can understand that about ourselves, that's the very first step. The second step would be speaking it out so that our partner can now understand, you know what, I would like to go for that promotion or I would like to move country or I would like to, I would like to have an ex-child or I would like to study something new. So I think being able to speak those things out confidently is the next thing. And I guess taking ownership of them as well, Jennifer, rather than it being a problem with the other half or, you know, a problem with the relationship. Actually, I want this. I feel this. I need this, you know. Yeah. And as yes. And as a couple being in that place of a little bit of discomfort for a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months, as you figure out, well, how can we raise children? and have our two jobs, and have you study something new, and have that first of our children go to, how are we going to do all those things? Mm. Those are quite grapply conversations to yeah. have. And it, there always is a solution. Like there always is a way forward. It's whether you have a couple that can remain calm enough for long enough, or break the conversations into segments, short segments enough that they will get to a place where they can figure some of it out because it's pretty much all figure outable. But I think genuinely it comes back to, do I know what I need for me to feel confident and yeah. compassionate to myself? And, you know, not, not having things like, well, it's, you know, if I put my family first and that's kind of the way a parent is. Oh yeah, but actually your children need to see you be full, full yeah. up and vital and, you know, daring and, and calm and logical and all these things that our children look up and go oh well look dad can be all those things or mum can be all those things Mm. and that's a priceless model that you're modeling both to your partner and to your the rest of your family and that comes from personal responsibility and getting our needs met so that two strong people can stand strong in a relationship as opposed to leaning against each other which is codependent isn't it we need to just get our needs met well and, and walk together at different paces if necessary but standing alone together, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Maybe alone's the wrong word, but yeah, standing yeah. strong together. <laughs> strong together, but not not propping each other up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And is it ever too late? Um to seek therapy, do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. I definitely think it is. And I think some people will show up in your room to be able to say at some point in the future well we went to therapy and it didn't work didn't work mm-hmm. so I've definitely had people that have come into my room and you can tell they're already checked out they're not interested in the conversation because yeah. they've already said I've already spoken to a lawyer I've already got I've already got the paperwork signed up I'm just coming here to say that I did this and that it didn't work because our relationship was so far gone yeah um but also I yeah I mean as long as we're honest about it I think if two people come into a room saying and you ask, you know, what is it you want? What do you want from here? And they go, actually, I think I'd just like to end this, but I'd like to do it in a friendly way. And the other person goes, no, I'd like that as well. Great. Now we've got a common goal. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's still a success. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess the key takeaway really is, you know, have those conversations both together, but also, you know, perhaps checking in for an MOT occasionally as well so that we're having those conversations and that shared understanding at an earlier point in time yeah and I think that's something that also you can once you've worked with a couple you can also have that conversation to say 
is this something, have you found this process helpful? Yes, we really have. And then, you know, if you think it would be a good idea instead of waiting till for something like this, that was maybe tricky to pull back from the edge and took whatever, five, six sessions, if you think it would be helpful to come in and just have a check-in once a year or once every six months for one hour, we can do that. Yeah. So just know that that's a possibility if that's something that you'd like to set up. Yeah. So I think that's perfectly reasonable to plant that seed and just have a relationship MOT once a year or once every six months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Well, we're rapidly running out of time, Jennifer. And, you know, I, I just feel that we could talk um, for, for so long about so many different things. But is there anything else that you'd like to add to, to what we've talked about today? Um, well, I think for me, I think there's a couple of things that stand out mostly for me. And I think this is the same for all therapy, whether it's couples or not, is just that when someone comes to seek your own help, it's really important that your own needs are met well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that we're all checking in regularly with our own things going, do I feel like I'm confident? Do I have meaning and purpose in my life? And that we recognize where those, how those life stages change us. Because when we speak out from a place of knowing, there's a different resonance or wisdom that comes from those words than if it's a theory, you know? And, and also for other therapists, sometimes couples therapy might not suit you. You, know, you might do a few of them and go, you know, I don't want this to be my specialist area or I don't want to include this in my offering, in which case you don't have to. Mm -hmm. um, but if you do, certainly there is a need and a demand out there because life as it is just now is appears to be way more complicated than it ever has been. But it can be simplified very, very quickly with mm -hmm. a therapist having the right tools and um, the right knowledge. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know, if anybody does want to, to think about integrating couples therapy into their practice, there'll be a link in the podcast description to your couples masterclass workshop that you run, um, Jennifer, as well as any of the resources that we've, we've talked about today. So thank you, Jennifer, for covering such an amazing topic. And I'm sure that um, things that we've talked about today will have really helped our, our listeners. So thank you so much for sharing your time. And thank you to everyone for listening. Until next time, bye-bye.